Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's take our Bibles and stand, please. Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. While you're doing that, uh, some of you men who came to the, uh, the barbecue fellowship yesterday didn't get your book. And if you didn't, please see the ushers in the back or the greeters at the back later on. Make sure you get the book. It's a, it's a book entitled Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. Be great help to you. You can use it for your devotions or for your family devotion. Be a big help to you for that. So I hope you'll get that. Joshua chapter 3, were you there? Be back tonight for Sunday night. Amen. And we're praying for a great service this evening. I'm looking forward to the message from 2 Samuel chapter 14. And it will help your Christian life and uh, help you just be on that track, that road for victorious Christian living. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, please share your Bible with them. Help them be right in their place. Joshua chapter 3 this morning. Notice verse 1. Joshua chapter 3 verse 1. And Joshua rose early in the morning and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. And yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure, or you might say 3,000 feet by our measurement. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now go with me to verse 14, please. Verse 14. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan and the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as they that bear the Ark were coming to Jordan and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped in the brim of the water for Jordan overfloweth all his banks shall uh, all, all his banks all the time of the harvest that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city of Adam that is beside Zaratan and those that came down towards the sea of the plain even the salt sea failed and were cut off and the people passed over right against Jericho now notice for a moment I want you to underline a few things this morning I'll just help you as we study today uh, if you want to underline or if you have a highlighter, you might want to highlight this. Notice verse 1. I'm, I just want to encourage you to highlight or underline Joshua rose early in the morning. I want you to uh, go over. The, I want you to underline everywhere you see the word Jordan. That's the Jordan River. Underline that. Everywhere you see the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Lord, underline that. We'll find this morning that the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned ten times in this passage of Scripture. I want you to notice verse 5, we're underlining the entire verse. Uh, Joshua said, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then I want you to notice verse, verse, uh, verse 15. It says, the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water. I want you to have in your mind, we'll be talking much about this. This was harvest time. This was the time when the snow was melting off the tops of the mountains. Mount Hermon, which had a lot of snow, was melting off very rapidly. And the snow melt was causing the rivers to overflow. That one river there, the Jordan River, which proceeded north to south, from southwards it would, would, it would flow into the Dead Sea. It was overflowing. And notice, if you would, verse 16 it tells us that the waters failed in verse 16. Now, if you'll just underline those, that'll help you to catch a few things this morning about this passage. We're going to a river today. We're going to be at the Jordan River. We're going to park ourselves at the river. We're going to try the best we can to relive the river experience. I'm reminded of a story of a preacher that got up in a country church and he preached a sermon against alcoholic drinking. Christians shouldn't drink. All right, let me, let me try that again. Christians shouldn't drink. Amen. That's a little bit better. Amen. And he got up to preaching. And you said, where is that at? Well, that's in Proverbs 23. There's many passages of Scripture there. And he got up to preach. And he says, you know what? If I could take all the, all the bear that's in this county, I would dump it into the river. And he kept on preaching his temperance sermon. He said, if I could take all the wine in our county, I'll dry, I would drop it into the river. 
And then he started getting into his message. He started feeling the liberty of the Holy Spirit. He said, if I can get all the whiskey in our town, I would dra- drop into the river. And after he finished preaching that message, he just had hit such a high point. He was about to sit down. He says, okay, song leader, why don't you come and lead us in a hymn before we give the invitation? And the song leader came up with a smile on his face. And the song that he chose was, shall we gather at the river? This morning, we're going to be at the river today, not because there's liquor that's important, but we're at the river, a great miracle occurrence. It has a great spiritual significance to our Christian lives this morning as we consider what the Lord will do for Israel as they're at the Jordan River. Father, bless the scriptures now this morning that have been read. Use it for your glory. Awaken us today. Stir our hearts. Increase our faith. Help us to experience the successful and victorious Christian life. We pray for this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're back in our series in the book of Joshua. Joshua 1.8 kind of sets the tone for this whole book. In Joshua 1.8, the Lord told Joshua, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. And the only time the word success in itself as that word is used in the Bible is found right here in chapter 1, verse 8. In fact, it's termed good success. The word success that is here is the Hebrew word sakai. And sakai means that the idea of having prudence, wisdom, and prosperity. In other words, it's saying to, to gather the wisdom that God would have you to have so that you would make the proper steps that would lead to success. To be thinking about the success is not a shot in the dark, it's not a haphazard attempt at something, but it's something that's well thought out. And this morning, as we go through the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua is a book that encourages you and me about victorious Christian living, of how we can have victory in Jesus Christ. It teaches us the pathway, the steps we must take to a a successful Christian life. Now this morning, more than anything else, God wants you and me to be successful in the Christian life. Thank God this morning you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Thank God this morning you can remember the day and time when you called on the name of the Lord to save you from your sins. But the Christian life doesn't stop at salvation. The Christian life begins at salvation. God wants us to understand there is a pathway. There are steps to success. And we're going to see here, starting here in chapter 3, one of the most important steps we must take in the matter of the Christian life. And that step we're taking is this journey of faith. We're taking the step of what we call the steps into sanctification. Sanctification, we'll see in just a moment here, is an important aspect of Christian living. Watch this. In salvation, we see where God has saved us. He's, he saved us from the, from the penalty of sin. When you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, the penalty of sin is no longer upon you. God has saved us from the penalty of sin. He pulls us from that. But as we go on the Christian life, God wants us to experience His power over sin. And in sanctification, it's God's power He gives us over sin. In the Christian life, when we reach the end of the road, when God takes us up into heaven, we now go from salvation to sanctification to glorification and glorification is when we are no longer under the presence of sin that sin is no longer there to bother us and so as we look at this the book of Joshua gives us a picture that is so beautiful and so wonderful of understanding how the Christian life is to be lived what are the steps we need to take why is it that I have struggles in this area of victorious Christian living why is it that I don't really grasp sanctification why is it that I've taken some good steps forward but sometimes I feel like I'm taking more steps backwards and forward. And as we look at chapter 3, we're going to see how God gives us wonderful and simple instructions about the the, the victorious Christian life. You see, this morning, as we look at Joshua chapter 3, it describes to you and I what I would term the life that God wants you to live. Sanctification is the life that God wants you to live. God doesn't want anyone here to fail. God doesn't set up anyone here for failure. God doesn't want anyone to be a castaway. God doesn't want anyone here to be shipwrecked in their faith. God wants all of us to realize today there is hope in Jesus Christ. There is victory in Jesus Christ. You can be on the winning side for Christ. You can live and abound in what you're doing. You can do what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, where he says that we should be always abounding in the work of the Lord. And so this morning, I want to encourage you about this matter of the doctrine of sanctification and what it means to cross your Jordan River. First of all, what you notice in chapter 3, the colorful picture. 
I want you to notice very quickly some reviews, some things, so we get an idea of what's going on. I want you to see the colorful picture that the Scriptures give us. First of all, if we go back to chapter 1, Joshua is now the spiritual leader of the nation of Israel. Remember, as I said back two messages before this, as we were in Joshua chapter 1, that for 40 years, Israel was under the leadership, the strong leadership of Moses. Moses had died. God buried him up in Mount Nebo. Nobody could find his body because God buried him there. The reason why God didn't want anyone to find his body, he didn't want somebody to dig up his bones and start worshiping him. He wanted to realize that their faith and their eyes should be on the Lord. And so now Joshua is the leader. God has taken many years to prepare Joshua. Joshua has been following in the shadow of Moses. Joshua is content to just being a follower and being captain of the army. And now God has, has, has sovereignly elevated him to the position where he's going to lead the two and a half to three million people across the Jordan. You see, under Moses, they were circling. They were going to circuit through the, the wilderness journeys for all that time. But now the time came. That land of promise that they want, God wanted them to, to, to cross over and to capture was upon them. And so now Joshua is elevated as the leader. We read over in Joshua chapter 1, if you'll turn there, verses 2 through 4. This is what God told Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, into the land which I, I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your coast. You have to imagine in your mind for just a minute everything God is telling them. They're on the eastern side of the Jordan River. God wants them to cross over Jordan to the western side. To the western side, he describes this large, large, massive amount of land going north and south and east and west. They're going to have to go from east to west across. And when he talks about the Great Sea, he's envisioning in their minds, he's casting vision in their minds of thinking that you're going to capture, you're going to possess land that goes all the way out to the Mediterranean Sea. He says, I want you to understand, you've been, you've been out here in the wilderness for 40 years. You've been going through 40 years of trial and waiting and now the time has come and Joshua upon his shoulders is the great responsibility he is the one that's going to lead them across the Jordan he is going to be the one that's going to help them get to that land that they're going to possess and to claim those cities and the very first cities we'll see in a moment they would claim would be the city of Jericho Joshua is the leader that God has called to lead them in that place there but notice the second thing Joshua is the leader Joshua is into new territory Joshua is going down a pathway he's never executed before Joshua is going to have to make some decisions and lead the people to do things that Moses never did. It would be a whole new learning experience for everyone. So we see Joshua as the new leader. But secondly, as God is speaking to them, if you remember chapter chapter 1 and chapter 2, God told them that the first city that they would have to conquer is the city of Jericho. Now Jericho was the first place they had to conquer. Jericho was within five miles of the crossing of the Jordan River. As soon as they crossed the Jordan, they got on the other side there. The city of Jericho would be next. Please understand this. Where Jericho was elevated on a hillside, Jericho was visible from where they were at on those eastern shores and even more visible as they got on the western shore of the Jordan River, the, the western banks. And they would look there and they could see Jericho. Jericho, as we get to the study, was a formidable city. It was one of the great cities of that of that land of Canaan at the time. In fact, Jericho was a feared city. It had two walls. It had an outer wall and an inner wall. No one had ever conquered those walls. No one had ever knocked those walls down. No one had ever gotten over those walls and succeeded. That They looked at that and they considered that city and they considered the pagan worship and they considered the soldiers. In fact, even the two spies, as we'll see in a minute, who came back and gave a report to Joshua, they came back and they said, wow, all these people are fearful of us, but we've got to conquer Jericho. You have to understand, as far as the people are concerned, all they had was the report from the two spies and the leadership of Joshua. And so the people themselves had to have faith or develop faith to believe that they would be able to conquer Jericho. And in their sight, as they would begin that crossing of the Jordan River, they would be looking at Jericho and the hearts of the elderly, the hearts of the young people, the hearts of those who are newly married, the hearts of the teenagers and the college students and others like that. They would probably think in the back of their mind, I wonder if we're going to conquer Jericho. I wonder what it's going to be like to cross those walls. I wonder how this is all going to be done. You know, a lot of times we hear a challenge from the pulpit. A preacher gets up and tells us how to live for God. 
God, how to live victorious Christian life, and how to spend an hour a day with God in prayer, and how to read our Bibles and be victorious in the Christian life. And we're all amen for that. We say amen to that, and we're all in favor of that. But then as the service concludes, and we've made our decision, we go home, and here's the thought we think about. I wonder how I'm going to get this done. I wonder what pathway is going, to, is going to take me there. I wonder how this is all going to get done. And that was in the minds of the people. So first of all, Jared, we see that uh, Joshua is the, is the designated leader, God's leader, to lead them across the Jordan River to claim the promised land. Secondly, the first city they would have to conquer would be the city of Jericho. In chapter 2, verse 24, this is what the two spies said to Joshua. They said, truly, the Lord has delivered into our hands all the land. For even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. They had a good report. This good report comes to Joshua. And that leads us to chapter 3, verse 1. We see a third thing. We see that Joshua is the leader. We see, secondly, Jericho would be the first city to conquer. But we see in verse chapter 3, verse 1, Jordan would have to be crossed. Now, before you're ever going to make that great victory, before you're going to conquer a spiritual city, you're going to have to cross your Jordan. And you'll notice chapter 3, verse 1, the Jordan River, it says, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim, and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. Now I want you to understand what's going on here. Three days period of time, the, the, the spies are there at Jericho surveying the situation. They're realizing all the inhabitants of Jericho are fearful and scared because they've heard the message has passed down for 40 years. How God used Moses to lead Israel across the great Red Sea and to escape the hands of the Egyptian army. Egypt was the most feared nation of that time. All the Canaanite nations feared them, which is why they had walled cities. They didn't want the Egyptians to come after them. But they heard the story of how Israel was camped at the, at the shoreline of the Red Sea and the waters were overflowing and it was impossible for anyone to walk across or to wade across or to swim across that Red Sea and how God opened the Red Sea up and every one of those three million Israelites made it across that seabed. It became dry. The waters were hailed back by God on both sides and the people walked across dry shot and the Egyptian army that tried to follow them were killed and conquered there in those waters and it's a picture of salvation. It's a picture for us how God makes a way for us, how God provides this matter of salvation versus through God's Son, Jesus Christ. The Red Sea is reminded us there's no way you and I can save our souls. God has to make a way. And the Bible says in that same passage in Exodus 14, Behold the salvation of the Lord. And God opened a way. And I'm going to tell you this morning, when Jesus Christ came to earth over 2,000 years ago, He took your place and mine by dying on the cross of Calvary. And through His death, His substitutionary death, and His shed blood, and three days later, His rising from the dead, He accomplished salvation for every sinner that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord can be saved. And so this morning, we realize today that Christ made a way for us. He made it a way for us to get across the Red Sea and to find salvation. But the Jordan Rivers we stand there does not represent salvation. You see, all the Israelites who crossed the Red Sea, they experienced it. But most of them died. If they were over the age of 20, they died there in that wilderness because of their unbelief. And now there's a new generation. The majority of that generation, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, had never experienced that Red Sea experience. They really couldn't fathom in their mind what does it mean for God to part the waters and cross the way over. And they're coming to the Jordan River and watch this now. The Jordan River, it's harvest time and the waters are overflowing. The, wa- the snow caps are melting there off the mountains. And the sun, which is very hot as spring and summer comes, is melting the snow caps off. And the waters are rushing down. And the waters are rushing down. It's enlarging the waters there where it used to be on a normal time. The Jordan River from one end to the other, as far as with me concerned, from the, west, from the east side to the west side, would be about 90 feet long. It is now over a mile long. Over a mile long. And the waters are raging. Here's a picture of just a, a, a signing of the Jordan River on one section where, where it's just the waters are coming down and the waters are overflowing. As you can tell, it's a very dangerous and probably an impossible task to even try to get across there, to try to swim across or walk across without being swept away. And notice here in verse 1, the Israelites now have been told by God during this three-day period of time, they've left this area of Shittim. Shittim is the area of the acacia trees. It's also a word that describes acacia wood, which was the enclosure, the wood, the wood 
wood covering inside on the inside of the Ark of the Covenant. They're standing there looking at this Jordan and they're standing there, sitting there, pitching their tents for three days. They're listening to the roaring of the waters. They're watching as the, as the, as the water rolls by and in the hearts and minds of perhaps the average Israelite, they're thinking, how in the world are we going to make it across there? How are we going to get to Jericho? And they're not even thinking about Jericho at that moment. Now they're thinking about how are we going to get it across Jordan? How's this going to happen? What has God got in mind? What does Joshua have in mind? And there's this place of Jericho. You see, Christian friend, before we can get to Jericho, we've got to cross our Jordan. It's going to be a miracle to cross Jordan. It's got to be God doing the impossible for you and I to get across Jordan. We've got to get across Jordan. And listen, today, it might be the turning point. It might be the, it might be the time where God is going to work in your life and realizing how God's going to help you to cross your Jordan in order to claim your Jericho and how you can go forward and stay victorious in the Christian life. We see this morning the colorful picture. But notice, secondly, as we get into our passage, would you notice the cardinal principles? Joshua 3 illustrates for you and I the principles for successful Christian living. Joshua chapter 3 illustrates for you and me sanctification. How we can live the victorious Christian life in God. You see, notice in chapter 3 verse 5, Joshua on that third, on the, set, the second night, as they were preparing to cross that Jordan River, he has his leaders go through all of the people, through the hosts of the camp of all of Israel. They're camped there by the, by the, by the shoreline there, the banks of the, of the Jordan River. And they make this command to the people, verse 2, to look for the ark of God that will be held by the priests or the Levites. And he says, between you and it, there needs to be a space of of 2,000 cubits or 3,000 feet. He wanted the ark of God far enough ahead that they could see it, but far enough ahead they wouldn't be discouraged. And he wanted them to see this ark. And as he goes, he sends these elders across through all the tents, throughout the host of people. He tells them in verse 5, Sanctify yourselves, set yourselves apart unto God, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Please understand this morning, sanctification is the next step of the Christian life after you're saved. This is critical. You cannot bypass Christ, uh, successful Christian living and the victorious Christian life without, the met, the, 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 without this matter of, of sanctification life. And let me give you some things to help us understand this word sanctification. Sanctification represents the kind of life God wants us to have. Sanctification is victorious Christian living. Sanctification is living for the glory of God. Sanctification is living a life of victory over Satan, the flesh, and the world. Sanctification is living a life that has power over sin. Sanctification is living what is called a holy life and a separated life unto God. Sanctification is God's will for every Christian. If you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it tells us, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. God wants us to realize sanctification is essential of the Christian life. It's essential for being successful. It is realizing we're to be nearer to Jesus and not farther from Jesus. It's realizing that the Christian life is getting closer and closer and closer to God, not farther and farther away from God. God doesn't want us to stand in the same place, being stationary, having made no movement. He wants us to keep making movement closer and closer to God. How many believe that this morning? Amen. God wants us closer to Him, not farther than Him. That's sanctification. And so notice here, the Israelites have been parked there for three days. The Jordan River, wherever you read this at in the Scripture, where you see the miracles, remember this, the Jordan River is always a picture of death. And they're looking at this situation here. They're looking at the Jordan Rivers as the waters are overflowing. As the rapid, as the rapid flow of the waters, they're watching trees that are uprooted, being carried down by those ferocious waves down the pathway, down towards the Red Dead Sea. They're looking at this and they're wondering as they hear the sound, as they see the sight, how in the world are we going to make it? What kind of faith do we have to have to make it across there? And quite honestly, I believe that during that three day period of time, many of them were fearful and wondering what's going on there. But Joshua is getting them prepared and ready. And he says to them in verse five, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And I want you to notice this morning there are three things that we have to see from chapter 3 that are essential for us. If we're going to live the victorious Christian life, if we're going to live a life of victory and accomplishment and seeing God work in your life and mine, we've got to follow these three principles. Notice number 1 in verse 1, we see the morning practice. In verse 1 it says, When Joshua rose 
early in the morning. And he moved from Shittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel lodged before they passed over. I want to draw your attention to the morning practice. In verse 1 it says, And Joshua rose Early in the morning, Josh in chapter 2 verse 24 has been bolstered in his faith. He's gotten the report from the two spies and said, Joshua, truly the Lord has given us this land. And truly all the inhabitants of this land are scared and they're fearful because they've heard what God is able to do. All the Canaanites heard what God did for Israel and make them cross the Red Sea. So he he says, you just got to realize today that God is already giving the victory and you have to put yourself in. Josh's place. He's just trying to get just get accustomed to the fact that now he's the leader and he's just trying to get accustomed to the fact that there's some things God wants to do through him that he didn't do through Moses and he's got to lead these people and, and he's feeling inadequate and he's feeling the pressure upon this moment and the Bible says after he got that report it says in verse 1 of chapter 3 he rose early in the morning. His faith was bolstered to move forward. This morning, brother and sister in Christ, a member of Heritage Baptist Church and visitor of Heritage Baptist Church and attendee of Heritage Baptist Church, my encouragement to you this morning is that God would bolster your faith to move forward. Would you say this this morning? God, help me to move forward in my Christian life. I don't want to be stagnant. I don't want to stay the same. I don't want to be the same person I was as I walked in. I want to move forward for Jesus Christ and not stay behind. And so you notice here, this this morning practice, the very first thing Joshua does in moving forward to conquer Jericho, the very first thing he does, write this down, the very first thing he does, he gets up early in the morning. He gets up early in the morning to meet with God. Listen, early rising is one of the keys to successful Christian living. Early rising is one of the keys to successful Christian living. In Psalms chapter 5, verse 3, the psalmist said, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. The psalmist uh, Solomon said in Proverbs eight seventeen. I love them that love me. And those that seek me early shall find me. We read about our Lord Jesus Christ in Mark one thirty-five. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. And there he prayed. Now I realize this morning in our midst, we've got people that are night owls. And we've got people that are early morning risers. And I realize in our midst this morning, we have some people who love the mornings. And there are some people who hate the morning. I don't, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I imagine there's a lot of people. As I looked into your eyes this morning, you're not really sure if it's morning or evening right now amen you just know one thing if you could be back in bed you'd feel really comfortable back in bed right now amen i mean that's how some of you feel right now and you're looking like in your eyes your eyes are looking like a raccoon in the middle of the night right now amen you look like you need some sleep right now but i'm going to tell you this morning in spite of the fact you may disagree with me in spite of the fact you may not be a morning person in spite of the fact you may be a night owl i want to tell you this morning one of the secrets of successful christian living is a morning practice is rising up early in the morning and meeting with god listen this morning i met god in the morning when my my day was at his best and his presence came like glory with his sunrise on my chest all day long his presence lingered and all day long he stayed with me and we sailed in perfect calmness or a very troubled sea other ships were blown and battered and other ships were sore distressed but the winds that seemed to drive them brought to me a peace and rest then i thought of other mornings with a keen remorse of mine how i too left the blessing of his presence far behind but now i've learned the secret against many a troubled days if you meet god in the morning you can have him all the day. May I encourage you this morning? Get up early and spend time with God. May I encourage you this morning? Get up in the morning and just say, even if you're tired and you're weary and your mind might still be in bed and your body is somewhere else, may I just encourage you to get on a Bible reading schedule and open the Word and let God speak to you. May I encourage you this morning to do as we've been emphasizing since our revival meetings, to say, I'm going to have an hour a day with God. I'm going to get the prayer journal and walk with God. And I'm going to spend time praying with God and talking to the Lord. And I'm going to get a prayer page and meet with God. I like what John Bunyan said. Listen, John Bunyan said, He who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him all the rest of the day. Joshua rose early in the morning. May I challenge you this morning? Don't get up early in the morning because you just got to go to work. Get up early in the morning because you want to meet with God. Amen? Meet with God. You say, Pastor, you don't understand. No, I do understand. The Bible talks about people that get up early in the morning to meet with God. God help our soul that our only motivation is to get up early in the morning because we've got a job or something else to do. Let's get up early in the morning because we want to meet the darling of Calvary. We want to meet the God of gods and the Lord of lords and meet Jesus Christ and spend time with Him. I'm just saying this morning, if we want to live the victorious Christian life, if you want to go forward for God, if you want to see victory, you've got to overcome the temptation, the tendency to succumb to the flesh and let the flesh have control. Instead, let the Spirit be in control. Because the Bible says that the flesh 
lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. This morning, walk in the Spirit. And one of the keys to walk in the Spirit is just decide, I'm going to get up in the morning, and I'm going to spend time with God. And that's what Joshua does. In fact, we read several times in the book of Joshua, he gets up early in the morning. I believe he got up early in the morning to meet with God. I believe he got up early in the morning to set a good example. I believe he got up early in the morning because he needed God's presence in his life. And I'm saying this morning, if we're going to live the victorious Christian life, and the life God wants us to live we've got to adopt the morning practice but notice the second thing notice verses three and four we see the morning practice would you notice the majestic presence now the morning practice is a necessity of victorious christian living but the majestic presence is a necessity of victorious christian living too and notice verses three and four if you will you'll follow as i read please and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. And there shall be, yet there shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. Watch up here. Watch what's going on here. Joshua gets up early in the morning. The people know when Joshua's up, he's walking about, and he's talking to the elders, and the elders are going to go out throughout the host of Israel. There's a message. You have to understand, Joshua knew because God told him that the people's heart is fearful. They're watching the waters as they're rolling down. They're seeing the raging of the waters. They're hearing the roaring of the waters. They're seeing the debris float down the river. They're looking way across where before it used to be 90 feet to cross here in the calmness of the Jordan. Now with the raging waters, it's over a mile wide that they'd have to cross. Not only that, they're realizing... From about a 20, 25, uh, from, from about, uh, about, uh, 25, 20, 15 feet one way and 10 feet the other. They're realizing it is a long way to go. They've got a long way to go across this thing. They realize there's a 25, excuse me, a 15 miles one way, 10 miles the other way. They realize there's 25 miles of expanse of river being flowing down from the tops of the mountain all the way down to the Dead Sea. And they're thinking, it's not possible. How in the world are we going to get across there? And here's what Joshua says. He says, I don't want your focus on, on the river. And I don't want your focus on how hard the river is flowing. And I don't want your focus on the overflowing banks. What I want your focus on is on the presence of God. What I want your focus on is on the Ark of the Covenant. Notice again this morning, the Ark, of, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. Beloved, this morning God knows you and I have fears. And God knows that you and I have, have concerns. And God knows you and I have little faith sometimes. And God knows you and I will hear the roaring of a, of a Jordan River and the overflow of the Jordan River. And we're going to be scared and intimidated by what we see. And God has to remind us that our eyes and our focus should not be on the problem and our eyes and focus should not be on the river that's flowing down carrying all the debris and that we might get swept away but our eyes are on the Lord would you notice the Ark of the Covenant in chapter 3 is mentioned 10 times you notice some things about this Ark of the Covenant first of all would you notice as the priests who would bear it they would stand there in the water would you notice some things about this for some that are new to the faith first of all consider the contents of the Ark now when you talk about the Ark what are we talking about we're talking about Noah's Ark no the Ark of the Covenant was a was a was a it was an elaborate piece of furniture that was made. It was a it was a it was a it was a, it was a kind of you what a, a, a an altar that was a portable altar if I can call it, and it would be supported by two golden staffs. And the staffs would go the, the staffs on both both sides would be supported by the high priest. Now, it's important for us to understand not the ark itself, but the contents of the ark. Inside the ark, there would be the following. There would be the two tablets of stone or the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. God told Moses, you're to put those two tablets of stone in there. Now, the tablets of stone are a representation of the law that God gave. And the law, if you would, is a reminder to us that the law tells all of us we are guilty before God. The law shows all of us that we are sinners. The law shows all of us that we have a propensity to sin. The law shows all of us that there's no self-righteousness in any of us. It's a reminder that God's word is sovereign. And the two tablets of stone reminded them of the law of God. And inside of that, not only would it be the two tablets of stone, but there was a golden pot that was filled with manna. During the 40 years Israel was, went through the wilderness, they were worrying about where would they get their food. And every morning from, the first, from, uh, from Monday through uh, from Sunday, if you would, during their time, until Friday, every day God would provide them what was called manna. Now manna was basically a small little round 
round, round thing that tasted like honey. And they, they, they called it, it was like coriander seed. And it was something they gathered every day. Some would gather more, some would gather less. And they would gather enough. There would always be enough for them. And God would take care of their need. It's kind of like, it's kind of like it had everything that the body needed to sustain them day by day. And then on that sixth day of the week, they were to gather, they were to gather extra because the, uh, because the seventh day would be basically the, the Sabbath day and they were not to be out working and gathering at time. But the golden pot of manna is a picture of Jesus Christ who is the bread of life. The man is a picture of Jesus. And the bread of life, Jesus, as the bread of life, Jesus invites every sinner to come to him and eat of him. You read about that in John chapter 6. He said, I am the bread of life. He that eateth of me, he shall never hunger again. And what he's saying there is by taking Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we take all of him by faith, we can be saved from our sins. And so the golden pot speaks to us about Jesus Christ. And then there was a rod that was inside there. And it was called Aaron's rod that was budded. Now the, now the rod basically was a, was a thick branch that was cut off from a tree. And there was a test that God gave over there in Numbers chapter 17 to prove who was the true prophet of God. And it was, and it was a test between Aaron and those who rebelled against Moses. And, uh, and Aaron's rod, which was similar to all the other rods, they were, they were long branches that had been cut off. Aaron's rod miraculously started to bud flowers. Now it had been cut off from its life source, but it was still alive. Now you know this, if you cut a branch off from a tree, it's not long after time any leaves on, any flowers on it, will die off because you've cut it off from its life source. It, it's not getting nutrition. And interesting enough, Aaron's rod started to bud. It came alive. Aaron's rod that budded is a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we see the law. We see the manna, which pictures Jesus Christ, the bread of life. We see the rod of Aaron, which is a picture of the resurrection. And then every year at Passover time, the high priest would go in there with some blood in a basin and he would take what was called hyssop and he would dip the hyssop inside the blood and he would sprinkle it upon upon the mercy seat because covering this is a mercy seat. You'll see that right there, a mercy seat. And that mercy seat was a covering in which all the contents inside there were to remain. And as the blood would be sprinkled over there, it was an indication that good works could not save us and the law could not save us. Only the substitutionary sacrificial death of Jesus Christ saves us from our sin. And the shedding of the blood is, is the way of, of salvation. And so as the blood was being sprinkled over that thing, then the, 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 the blood gave uh, was a symbol, if you a picture of Christ shedding his blood for your sins and mine. And every year the high priest would go in and do that. And so as they looked at that, they were reminded of that. And then you'll notice there's two cherubims overlooking that. And the two cherubims were bowing their, are bowing their heads out of reverence and holiness to God and recognizing that God's way is perfect and God has a way for every sinner. And it's a picture of salvation. Everything about the ark is a picture of the fact God wants every man to be saved. And Jesus died for every sinner. And listen this morning, if you're not saved, Jesus died for your sins. And Christ wants you to be saved and invites you to come to today. And so as they went there, these high priests were carrying this ark and they would come, as Moses, as, as Joshua told them, they would come to the banks, the overflowing banks there, and they were to hold this ark of God. And as they did so, God told them, now you need to, you need to tell the people they've got to be about 2,000 cubits or 3,000 feet away. Now it doesn't want, mean that God didn't want them to get near the presence, but here's what's going on. The typical average Israeli that was there was looking at the problem. They were looking at the Jordan, which seemed in passable. They were looking at Jericho, which seemed unconquerable, and there was fear. And God was telling them, listen, you're not going to, you're not going to be a, a winner in the Christian life by looking at your problem. You've got to be looking at the fact that there is, there's victory beyond all that. And so we have these contents, but then the custodians were, 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 were pictured for us here. The custodians were these Levites who held the Ark of God. There would be one, there would be four men, four Levites who would carry the Ark of God upon their shoulders. And if you read through Exodus and Leviticus, it gives us instruction about this. And a little bit in the book of Numbers there, it gives us instructions about that. And all it's telling us there is that the holy things of God should not be mishandled with unholy hands. The holy things of God need to be handled with holy hands. And then notice, if you would, there's the concept of the Ark. Ten times, as I said, the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned. And the Ark of the covenant would lead the way before the people could even start crossing the priests would carry the ark and they would come to the banks of the jordan river and their feet would have to touch it notice with me if you would what he says later on he says in verse 8 and thou shalt command the priests to bear the ark of the covenant saying when you're come to the brink of the water of jordan he says ye shall stand still in jordan he was telling them, you've got to come to the river i realize the waters look formidable and i realize that the overflowing banks seem a little scary but he says i want the priests to lead the way and i want the people to have enough distance between them and it that their eyes are on the ark and their eyes are not on the river their eyes are on the ark and their eyes are not on jericho their eyes are on the ark and their eyes are not upon this river and worrying about being swept away and 
here's what God's telling us. Listen, the ark of God is a reminder to us that we are to have the presence of God in our life. We need God's presence in our life. We need God's presence to lead the way. Listen, this morning, isn't it your desire to have God's presence in your home? Is it your desire to have God's presence in the church? Aren't you glad this morning that you can open your Bible and whatever time the day is? Don't you want God's presence upon you when you read the Word of God? And don't you want God's presence when God opens a door of opportunity to share the gospel with someone else? Don't you want God's presence there? And listen, what God was saying to them is that it's a part of the Christian life. We must have God's presence in everything we do. We must have God's presence as we go forward. We must have God's presence if we're to conquer our Jerichos. And we must have God's presence if we're going to cross our Jordan River. And what God was telling them is that they needed the presence of God. Beloved, this morning, the reason why our Christian faith, sometimes we waver and sometimes we don't make it. And sometimes we take one step forward and five steps back. I'll tell you, is because we haven't started our walk of faith by focusing on the presence of God. And as we look at Joshua chapter 3, the emphasis on the the ark of God. Ten times references made to the ark of God. We must follow the presence of God. We must focus on the presence of God. We need the presence of God as we face our enemies. Notice in verse 10, Joshua is describing to them the land they're going to conquer. And in verse 9, he says, come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, hereby you shall know that the living God is among you. And listen, when he said the living God, their focus was on the ark of the covenant. Their focus was on the presence of God. And listen, that was important because they needed to realize every heathen God that was being worshipped there in the land of Canaan was a dead God. It had eyes that could not see, ears that could not hear, hands that could not touch, a heart that could not feel. It was lifeless, it was inanimate, it was just a carving out of wood or stone or whatever it may have been. And he says, I want you to know that the living God is among you. And here at his Baptist church, I want to encourage you this morning, the living God is among you as well there too. And he says, the living God is among you and, and that he, without fail, will drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Seven nations that were strong and powerful And fierce. And known for men having giant-like stature. Men who were warriors who had fought some battles. God's calling out the spiritual enemies. He says, the living God without fail will happen to conquer every one of them. And that reminds me in Ephesians chapter 6 that God reminds us that the spiritual enemies we face, Satan has principalities and powers. Spiritual wickedness in high places. Spiritual darkness. He identifies those spiritual enemies and calls them by name. And he says, listen, every one of them, God will give you the power to overcome. But for that overcoming to occur, we must first be following and focused on the presence of God today. And I'm saying this morning, if we're going to be victorious in Christian life, the first step is to getting our place to being focused on that presence of God there. It's a necessity to spiritual success. So notice we see in verse 1, we see the morning practice. And notice in verses 3 to 4, we see the majestic presence. But you notice in verses 13 to 16, we see the miraculous power. Now the people are okay with the fact that the priests went ahead of them. And they're okay with the fact that the priests are supporting the Ark of the Covenant and they're supposed to put their feet into the water. But for some of those Jews there, they're looking thinking, I'm not sure I want to walk in those waters. I'm not sure I want to get my feet wet. I'm not sure I want to cross those waters. Look at how those waters are flowing. Look at the debris flowing down the way. Look, there's another tree that got our boot is going down. That that tree couldn't make it. How am I going to make it? How We can't even walk across there. There's no way we can swim across there. There's no way we can wade across there. How are we going to get across this Jordan? Notice, here's where the miraculous power of God is at work. Verse 13 says, And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people. And as they that bear the ark were coming to Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overflowed all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city of Adam, that is beside Zeratan. And those that came down towards the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. Would you imagine this beautiful sight? Would you imagine this morning? The morning rises. 
Joshua's making his way through all of the hosts of Israel with his leaders. And the people are still thinking it's been two days. Now they're on the third day. They've watched these waters come down from above. And the waters are roaring and the waters are rushing and the waters are raging and they're dirty and they're murky. If you've ever been up to Yosemite, right around, around, around Mayish time, you'll, you'll notice, especially after we've had a lot of snow, you'll notice as the snow is melting off the mountains up there that the Merced River and the American River are flowing very, very fast. And they walk caution you to not go in those waters. For those who go whitewater rapid, rafting, they, they have different degrees, and my memory serves right. I think a level five is the most dangerous one, and only skilled people can go across it. And I want to tell you, as the Jordan River was coming down, it was more than a level five. It was at a point of dangerousness. There's no way it would be suicide, uh, humanly speaking, to try to make your way across that river because you would just be swept up and drowned in those waters there. And the people watch this. They see these waters that are rushing. They see the debris that's flowing down. They see all this, and they're thinking, in mind, what's going on here? And Joshua, he's given instruction, and the priests are carrying the ark of the covenant and the priests are making the way there they're following the instruction they're just obeying the word of the lord and they're walking the way there and as soon as the feast the, the priests their feet touch the brim of the water they're touching this overflowing water watch this as soon as the feet touch the water the water starts to part hither and thither the waters are parting along the way and if you would 15 miles northward up to Mount Hermon where the waters were, were starting to flow very ferocious because of the because of the snow caps melting 15 miles upwards the waters were just coming and, and just as they came they went no further it became like a wall they just kept going upwards and upwards and upwards and became like what the Bible calls like a heap it just became like a, a big wall on one end and then the waters that were coming down on the southern part going towards the Dead Sea and where they were positioned they were about 10 miles north of where the Dead Sea was so 15 miles north of them and 10 miles south of them, waters were flowing down from the melting snow of those mountains were starting to stop and they're rising up and the Israelites are standing there watching their eyes are fixated on the presence of God as they did so, they're watching the waters recede and go di- two different directions and they're watching in their amazement what's happening not only the waters standing up upon a heap 10 miles downstream, 15 miles upstream, they're looking and they're looking very closely as the first group of Israelites are walking through, they're not walking on mud they're not walking on sludge they're not walking in a, in a swamp they're walking on a dry bed there, which, which, which man normally, like as I said earlier, about 90 feet under normal conditions. It was a mile wide. The overflowing of the banks, just to give you an idea how much water was coming out, was over a mile wide. And now from west, from east to west, all of that was a dry bed. And watch, every single one of those Israelites made their way across there. They walked across there. Some have estimated, John Butler in his commentary on Joshua said this, he believes that it probably took a minimum of 2,000 Israelites per minute to cross a go across that dry riverbed. If you think about it, 2,000 people per minute using 2.5 million conservatively of Israelites, it would take at least in 8 hours, you'd only get a million through. So it took a full day's time for all 2.5 million of them to go through. And perhaps a 24-hour period of time, the priests would stand there on that bank and they're holding that, they're holding the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulder and they're standing firm there and Israelite after Israelite is passing through on that dry bed and they're walking and they're in amazement. They're looking across and they're a little fearful as they're making their way across. They go an eighth of a mile in. They go an eighth of the way in and a fourth of the way in and half the way in and three quarters in and they're watching. The waters are not going to fail and they say they realize the waters are not going to rush down and, co- and cover them and they're realizing they're walking on a dry bed and to every one of those Israelites from the moment they began that journey as they walked across there making the journey all the way across from the east to west they're realizing that the miraculous presence of God and the hand of the Lord has dried that Jordan River and every one of them as we read in verse 16 made it all the way across brother and sister in Christ that is the miraculous power of God and here's the Christian life here's the Christian life you want the Christian you want the successful Christian life you want to live a life separated to God. You want the blessings of the Lord as He talks about. But you're going to have to experience the fact you're going to have to cross your Jordan River. You're going to have to trust God by faith that He's going to get you across the other side. And no matter if the enemy's looking from the other side, by the way, where they were at and the way the city of Jericho was positioned, the people of Jericho could stand on top of the top of that wall and they looked over and they could see these Israelites crossing over and they could see these walled waters going on both sides on the north and the south of them. They saw the waters heaping up. They looked at that and the hearts of the people of Jericho were fearful because they were watching as God is performing a great miracle in the midst of their people. God made a way where there was no way. God overcame the impossible. For some of us here in this room, we think it's too hard. 
It's too hard to pray. It's too hard to have the morning practice, Pastor. It's too hard to follow the majestic presence, Pastor. It's too hard to be committed. The waters look impassable. The task seems impossible. I'd like to have a faith like Joshua, but it looks too hard. I'm saying this morning, brother and sister Christ, we need a faith of a Joshua. And we need a faith like these Israelites who are willing to look at the presence of God and make a way across. Listen, for some of those people, they were looking for something logical. They were thinking, well, let's wait to, let's wait to a different time of the year when the waters recede and when it's easier for us to go by and the waters are calm and we can wait our way across. Listen, this morning, as those waters overflowed, some said, let's, let's be logical, but Joshua said, let the Lord. As those waters overflowed, some would have said, let's wait, but Joshua said, let's walk. As those waters overflowed, some of them would have said, we cannot, but Joshua said, we can. And I'm saying this morning, maybe you're looking at the Christian life and you've been living a defeated life and a stagnant life and you haven't gone anywhere. I'm going to encourage this morning, the will of God for your life is to go forward for Jesus Christ. Christ and cross that Jordan River and trust God to give you the power, the ability to overcome those things. For this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Listen, let the world taunt you and let the devil whisper in your ear and let the criticisms come and let the relatives tell you you can't get it done. In God's power, you can get all things done through Jesus Christ this morning. We can't do it in our power. We can't beat the devil in our strength. We can't beat the devil. We can't beat our flesh and our strength. You're not stronger than the world. Neither am I. But there's a miraculous power here that can get you across. That can part the waters. And I think there's a young man here this morning that needs to just to say, you know what, I'm going to come to the riverbanks and I'm going to walk across. I think there's a young lady here that needs to just sense today that she doesn't have to be intimidated and needs to walk the riverbanks and say, I can get across. I think there's some married couples here today. You're struggling your marriage. Your marriage has got, is in turmoil. I think what we need to do is get to that, get to the bank and say, I can make it across to the power of God. I think there's some Christians that you've got, you're struggling with the sin. You're struggling with the weight that's holding you down. You've got something that's, that's keeping you from living the Christian life. You know what? You can make it to Sunday night. What you've got to do is come back, go to the, go to the banks of the Jordan River and make your way there and go across and say, I'm going to get it done. You can do it in God's power. Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us we face our spiritual enemy. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, it must be the morning. It must be the morning. The morning appointment. There must be the majestic presence. There must be the miraculous power. And I'm telling you this morning, I wonder if, you're, if your faith is such you think that that only happened to Joshua. Listen, what the God of Joshua is the, is the same God you've got this morning too. He can get you through it. I said earlier that the Jordan River is a picture of death. Joshua is a picture of Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation. And for some this morning who are saved, listen to me this morning. You're saved. You've never taken the most important step of obedience of the Christian faith. That is, follow the Lord in scriptural baptism. Don't delay. You're standing on the eastern bank when you need to get on the western bank. And baptism, if you would, is a, is a picture that we identify with Jesus Christ and His death and His burial. But we are raised in likeness, the newness of life. Listen, to get the victorious Christian life, it starts with obedience. And these people had to be obedient. And by the way, I'm thankful this morning that every one of, every one of those Israelites made their way across. Every one of them was obedient. Every one of them had enough faith to say, we can make it across. And they were glad they made it across because they walked across a dry riverbed. And they walked across and they saw the wall of water. And listen, for generations to come, they would share with their children, their children's children, of all the mighty things that God did. He listened, experienced God's power in your life and decided today, if God could do it for Joshua, God can do it for me too. Finally this morning, would you notice one last thing? We see a beautiful picture. We see the necessary principles. But you notice as we close this morning, there's a conquering priority. Now call your attention again to verse 17. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on what kind of ground? 
What kind of ground? Dry ground. In the midst of the Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on what kind of ground? Dry ground. Until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. I like the word it says they passed clean over. Nobody had mud on their feet. Nobody had to worry about getting dust off their feet. Nobody had to worry about, excuse me for saying this, dirty toenails. Amen. They passed clean over. It's almost like walking across a hardwood floor. That's what God did for them. God made a way. When we get saved, God doesn't want us to live a defeated life. God wants us to live a victorious Christian life. It's not just the first Jordan River. There's other rivers to cross. There's more victories to claim. There's cities to conquer. There's a land to claim. The spiritual inheritance is claiming all the promises of God for your life. Listen, Peter puts it this way, in giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance godliness, and to godliness patience, and to patience brotherly love, and to brotherly love charity, or loving like God loves. For if these things be in you and they abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten what manner of man he is. God was telling them, and Peter's saying the same thing. Don't stay in the background. Don't stay the way you were just being saved and being a little babe in Christ. Grow in Jesus Christ. If we're going to grow in Jesus Christ, we've got to get to the place where there's a little bit of discomfort and there needs to be the exercise of faith and we've got to cross the Jordan River and we've got to get on the other side and we've got to get over to Jericho and claim the Jericho that God wants us to have. And so notice this morning, if you look at Romans chapter 6, this is a wonderful picture of the priority of sanctification. Would you look at that please? Romans chapter 6. In fact, would you turn your Bible to Romans chapter 6, verses 11 to 13. We're almost done. Romans 6. A conquering priority. The Apostle Paul, as he writes Romans, explains sin. He speaks about salvation. In chapter 6, he talks about sanctification. The next step. And he said in verse 11, Likewise reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Here are these Israelites. They're looking at that Jordan River, and they're feeling like they're dead. But as they're walking across, and they're following and trusting the presence of God, and watching the power of God at work, listen, they're feeling the sense that, hey, you know what? We are alive unto Jesus Christ. We've got victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you notice this morning the priority? is two steps of priority. We're done. Notice number one, they had, we must follow if we're going to have victory. Unless you follow the presence of God, unless you're obedient to God's word, unless you do like the Israelites, they had to trust in the word that God gave to Joshua, that Joshua gave to them, unless your eyes are fixated on the presence of God, if you're not following, there is no victory this morning. We've got to follow. Pastor Brown, who came to our men's meeting yesterday, preached a great message yesterday about following Jesus. We need to follow. We need to follow without questions. We need to follow without concerns. And we need to follow without doubting. We need to follow without trying to find a shortcut. This There are no shortcuts to the Christian life. So we must follow, but notice we must also have faith. They had to have faith in God's way. They had to have faith in God's power. The Bible tells us without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We must have faith. We must follow. This is in your notes, but notice something else. Look at the priests. The priests stood firm 
in the Jordan River for an entire day. You ever picked up a weight and just stood there for a period of time like this? You ever notice what happens? If it's like, let's just say it's, it's a couple gallons of milk. Do you ever notice you start to get tired and go like this? And the Bible says the priests, they stood firm for that entire period of time on that dry riverbed. Now, we must follow. We must have faith. But we must also be firm. We need to be steadfast. You know, you're going to have temptations to quit. And you're going to get tired. And you're going to get discouraged. And the day will go from morning to evening. Things will change. Listen, stand firm. Be steadfast. Unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Stand firm in that dry bed. Don't let it discourage you. Don't let it take you down. Be like those priests and stand firm there. As we close this morning, you can cross your Jordan. You can get to your Jericho, but you've got to establish a morning practice. You've got to follow the majestic presence. You've got to have faith in miraculous power and believe God will get you through. And by the way, this morning, if you're here today and you're not saved, you're not 100% sure you're going to heaven, this morning, before you can cross your Jordan, you've got to approach your Red Sea. And you've got to realize there's a Red Sea that's keeping you from going onward. And that Red Sea is the fact it's a sentence of death. But this morning, God wants to open that Red Sea by helping you understand if you put your faith and trust in Jesus' shed blood and His death on the cross for your sins and His resurrection from the dead, if you would trust in Jesus Christ only, you can be saved today and be sure that you have the gift of eternal life. Stories told of Robert Bruce. Many of you might know your English history, but Robert Bruce was trying to lead a revolt against the oppressive regime of Great Britain many years ago. And he was declared an enemy of the state. And as he was trying to make his way, he came to a point in time where the forces of Britain were much stronger than them. And the king of England was going after him. They were chasing him. They chased him through the woody, the woody forests of England there. And he was making his way with some of his, his loyal, loyal followers there. And they realized that, there was, that, 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 that the bloodhounds that were, that were set after him were getting closer and closer and closer. They knew his scent. And he came to a place where there was a small river there. And they said, hey, this river is overflowing. There's nowhere we're going to make it across. He said, we will make it across. I know my way here. I know my way through this. And Robert Bruce, despite the fact that the river was flowing very rapidly and it was difficult, he and his followers, those loyalists, they made their way all the way across. They got to the other side, kept going. And those men who were with him were concerned that the bloodhounds, which had his scent, would, would, would follow him. But as those bloodhounds and those the English army made their way there to the banks of that river, they realized that the scent had been broken by the flowing of the river. They got there, but the scent had been lost. No longer could they follow him. And I remind you this morning, the same way, when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, listen, the blood of Jesus Christ breaks the chain of sin. It breaks the condemnation of God. It sets you free so that the devil cannot lay claim on you and take your soul and lead you to hell. Listen, you can be saved today and know that the gift of eternal life can be yours this very morning. But you've got to call on Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. Let's get up. Let's go to our Jordan River. Get our eyes on the presence of God. Let the Lord lead us across. Would you do that this morning? Would you be victorious in Jesus? Decide today, I'm not going to be a stagnant Christian. Deadbeat Christian. Christian just waiting to see what's going to happen. Let God arise in your soul. May we be excited today to say, listen, I want to cross that Jordan. And I've got my eyes on the Jericho, but I'm trusting the power of God to get me through there. Father, help our... Our, our church this morning to grasp the, 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 these wonderful, simple principles of sanctification. Sanctification is just drawing near to Christ. It's claiming the way of God. It's getting your eyes on the presence of God and following the presence of the Lord and having faith in the power of God. And all over our room this morning, I pray for Christians who've been stirred in their conscience stirred in their hearts to cross that Jordan to claim their Jericho and realize the crossing of the Jordan is a necessity there's no way of bypassing it we've got to realize we have to depend on God's presence and power to get us through and realize that God you want us to live a victorious Christian life and God you make a way and God, you want to make a way for every Christian this morning who's struggling, that we realize that the victorious Christian life is realizing that there's just there's some things you need us to do. And you push it back at us. Someone today needs to get saved, Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit's spoken to them to get saved. And there's some Christians who 
are standing at the Jordan River. They need to make it across. Some are saved, but have never gotten baptized. Some are saved, but they're more content staying on the eastern side when they need to get to the western side. Some are looking at their problems, the overflowing of the river, which used to be 90 feet wide, is now is a mile wide. They're looking and saying, it's not possible. Help them to see it's possible through God. Father, in a moment, we'll give the invitation. I praise the church. We'd rise up and cross our Jordan. As a church, we'd rise up and realize we want to lay hold of that victorious Christian life, a successful life through Jesus Christ, a life of faith, a life of following, a life of firmness. Lord, would you help us this morning? Some need to make a decision today to adopt the morning practice and start spending time with God. Some used to do it and have gotten away from it and need to reclaim it. Some of us got our eyes off the presence of God. We've gotten our eyes off the ark. We've gotten our eyes off of salvation. We've gotten our eyes off the goal. And the goal is Jesus Christ, your son. Help us this morning to get our eyes on the Lord. Holy Spirit, restrain the devil's power. You've reproved through the message this morning of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now I pray that you give confidence and faith and boldness to do what we need to do. Father, we give the invitation. May you be glorified. We pray for this in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask if we could stand, every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to come this morning. God has spoken to you. Come this morning. How many will say this morning, you'll claim your Jordan River? How many come to the banks of Jordan? You're ready to cross your Jordan. You're to claim victory this morning, Christ. Maybe you need to follow the Lord in spiritual baptism. Would you do that? Do you take the next step so we can schedule for baptism? Maybe some need, you need victory over some sin that's holding you down, that's bothering you. Would you let go and let God have His way? Some of you struggling, you're paralyzed, you're coming to the Jordan. He'll make a way. Would you get your eyes on the presence of the Lord? Come me this morning and say, I need to adopt that morning practice. I need a time with God. I need to be in the Word. And you'll say, I used to do it, but I don't do it anymore. I need to start it. You'll come this morning. Don't wait for someone else. Exercise faith. Every Israelite came. They heard the roaring of the river. They were all concerned. But listen, there had to be the first person who came out and followed the presence of God and walked across that dry sea. And listen, you don't walk through it alone. You walk with it through, through it with God. God is there with you. Would you trust God by faith? Would you walk forward? Would you claim it? Come this morning. Do it today. Don't wait. Don't delay. If you're not sure you're saved, we invite you this morning. Don't put off for another day. Get saved right now. Let Christ save you from your sins. Call in the name of the Lord. And we're going to sing another stanza. You'll come. Don't delay. Young person, do you have a time with God? New Christian, do you have a time with God? Older Christian, have you missed your time with God? There's a morning practice. Joshua rose early in the morning. Joshua led the people. They got to the banks of the overflowing waters. Sometimes we've got to get our feet wet. I'm talking to Christians this morning. Maybe too many of us have cold feet when we need to have wet feet. Let's get our feet wet with the things of God. Let's get forward, go forward in the river and say, we're going to make our way across because we're trusting God. Father, thank you this morning. The scriptures speak for itself. And today we thank you that you give faith and you give power and you give enablement. Stir us today to glorify and please you. We pray for these things, Lord, now in Jesus' name. Amen.